Welcome to another episode of the Alias Secure AF podcast, the podcast about all things information security. I'm your host, Teddy Underkoffler. So this episode, we're going to talk about ransomware. Um, it seems like just about every weekend, some company is getting ransomware or is being attacked in some form or fashion based on ransomware. But before we begin, can I have you guys go around the table and give us your names just so that way people can kind of associate the name with the voice? Uh, this is Andrew Lemon. I'm a senior security engineer here at Alias. Wayne Kimberling, uh, chief information security officer at Alias. I'm Jeff Bowie. I'm a security engineer at Alias. Um, so let's just go ahead and start. What exactly is ransomware? So uh, it could be uh, several things. So uh, ransomware encrypts data, causes companies um, a lot of expenses, not only uh, in the data that they're losing, uh, but also the time that it takes to recover from ransomware. Um, so ransomware, uh, recently we've seen uh, variants of Sodi and Conti. Wait, real quick, what are Sodi and Conti? Uh, you're going to uh, ask me to pronounce those? Okay, so uh, there's Sodi, Sodi Kenobi ransomware and Conti ransomware. And those are variants, right? So there's uh-huh. uh, different groups and organizations that uh, construct and put these um, uh, things together. And they actually monetize these, right? And uh, they call it ransomware as a service. So there's an organization behind these infections um, that, um, of course, profit, but uh, there's also things that you can buy online and you can call a support group if you have any problems with uh, deploying it. With deploying the ransomware? That's correct. So I could go buy ransomware and to tell someone to deploy it somewhere? You could go buy it. Theoretically. <laughs> deploy it yourself and then call support if you have any problems with it. And you can make all that money in Bitcoin. That is crazy. You just got to cash it out. That's the hard part. How do you even find these people? Like, you can't just put an advertisement out, right? So these exist as uh, deep web forums usually, or just hacker forums, uh, usually in Russian. Most of these are operating out of Eastern Europe and non-extradition countries. But the threat actors will sell the whole package, and then here's how you deploy it, and here's how you cash it in. And we'll host the infrastructure for you. So it's just you're doing the exploits and pushing out the ransomware, and they help you collect. So how do you prevent ransomware? It's really about good strategy and defense in depth. So it's the rise that we've seen is with the work from home culture, uh, what has come with COVID uh, is infrastructure spun up haphazardly and not patched correctly and those being exploited. Uh, so the most common ways to get ransomware would be through email attachments or through outdated infrastructure that would allow attackers to have hands on the keyboard and then infect your network. So the best way to protect yourself, of course, would be make sure that you're not spinning up any new infrastructure. Make sure user training is up to date so you're teaching users how to identify attachments. And your antivirus should be good enough that it can block macro-based malware. What types of ransomware are there? Wayne, you just mentioned the different, those two I already forgot. Two variants. uh, (laughs) Yeah, the two variants. But how do they actually differ? I think it's uh, the, 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 the backers and um, how they code it, right, mm-hmm. and what their intentions are. So the intention could be um, just to encrypt the data, um, look for a ransom, and try to get monetary uh, funds from that. Um, they also go to the extent that they'll exfiltrate data. Um, so even if you don't pay the ransom, 
they still have a, a threat going on that they'll still um, show your data to and, and publish it on the internet. And Especially so, if they find internal emails or anything like that that would maybe indicate your business in something that would be not kosher with proper practices. So is that what they're typically looking for? Like looking for ways to like blackmail you? I think they're just looking for money period, however they can get it, but that's kind of a, an effective mechanism to gain that. Mm-hmm. Talking about the variants, there's levels of sophistication difference between some of them. You have your basic malwares that will come out. Uh, like Conti is a single encryption, single folder, uh, but the attack surface, or what the attackers are exploiting, the hands on the keyboard is more advanced. You have basic scanning people that will just scan the network for IoT devices and infect off of that. And then you have like Soto Kanibi, uh, which is a super advanced malware as a service, and it's uniquely generated keys for each infection and specifically encoded. So the the difference in variance really comes down to the level of sophistication based on how the attack paths go and how the ransomware is deployed. I mean, realistically, you want to say everyone should be worried about ransomware, right? But a lot of small businesses tend to think they don't need to be worried about ransomware. But isn't that kind of the opposite? They're the ones who should be more concerned since they would have less money to spend, right? I would say that your small businesses have more to worry about because they don't have the infrastructure to back up their data. A lot of smaller companies run their entire database on a single server that was set up by a nephew or a cousin, and they don't have the wherewithal to be backing up the data. So an impact to that server could cripple the entire company, whereas a larger company could float for a while. Yeah, we see a lot of nephew-cousin setups. That is very appropriate (laughs) description. (laughs) But hey, can you come fix my computer type? And like, if you've seen that picture on the internet of the guy in his underwear with the computer and he has kind of like a long mullet, he's like really a very grown man. Yeah, that's that reminds me of the kind of guys that set up these networks. Just complete neglect Mm -hmm. and negligence. Huh. So what does it take to kind of manage one of these networks? I mean, it makes it sound like you need like a full security team almost. Like if it is just a mom and pop shop, then what do they do? I would say just having security awareness, but also just good hygiene overall in IT. So understanding uh, what's your backup, uh, backup and recovery strategy is, what's your disaster recovery strategy, and start thinking out what happens if this building's a hole in the ground, what do I do? Where's my data recovery? Uh, what happens if this whole region is affected by this? And then a lot of malware is time-based. So ransomware will infect, start the infection process, delete volume shadow copy, and then kick off two weeks later. And by that time, all of your backups are encoded or they still have malware. So when you load them back up, you're still infected. So maybe thinking about hot storage and cold storage I would add to that also just basic hygiene. Um, you know, everyone talks about patching, vulnerability management, scanning, um, but you'd be very surprised how many people don't do that. And I know that it is uh, time-consuming at times and um, also can interrupt service. Um, but if you think about um, the cost of not doing it in a situation like this, mm-hmm. when you could have simply patched and maybe have the vendor upgrade their software or um, fix an operational issue because of a patch, um, in the end, the return on investment for patching is definitely worth it. 
Mm. I mean, most of these ransoms, right? It's typically a few thousand dollars you would expect for at least like a mediocre company, right? Correct. They usually size up their targets pretty well before they execute the ransomware. Uh, most people start like 15 to 20 K with the intent of kind of knowing that they're going to reach a settlement for kind of a lower figure, but, mm-hmm. but they definitely, yeah, we've seen them from 20 K all the way up to some people, have, you know, ask for millions of dollars before they'll release, you know, uh, certain things, but not everybody pays it. You know, it's just, it's just kind of like a last straw they're grasping at. Yeah. yeah. So isn't it possible for them to like, even just delete all of the stuff before you even pay it? Like if you say you're not going to pay it, then can't they just delete everything they have? Yeah. Depending on how embedded they're on the network, if they still have a presence, there's also issues with wipers. So wipers look like ransomware, but they just encrypt without the option to ever decrypt. Mm -hmm. So you would encrypt the data, offer to pay a ransom, and then once you pay that ransom, the attackers are gone. Uh, There's no way to recover your data at all. So basically you're just out money and out all of your data. Correct. So what are some of the more popular ransomware? So I know, what was it, WannaCry, right? In 2017, that was the one that hit all the hospitals? Yeah. yeah. Have there been any other kind of like large ransomwares, like easy, um, like what am I looking for? Wormable? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen anything uh, recently, but I, I'm not, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been that delved into malware analysis mm-hmm. lately. As far as like, uh, Wanna cry? That's actually the most common exploit that's used to worm your way through a network. That used uh, SMB blue vulnerability. Uh, so that's the MS17, I think zero eight. That's uh, an SMB vulnerability, and that's how that leveraged to move through the network. Uh, most ransomware has that behavior now. Ryuk is one of them, mm-hmm. and that's been one of the big ones now. Uh, pretty much everyone's just taken Wanna cry and then created their own variants off of it. And so can any of y'all explain WannaCry a little bit if the listeners just don't know kind of what that is? Uh, WannaCry was the first real serious piece of ransomware that we saw, and it followed a uh, zero-day, day-one exploit. So the NSA's um, Eternal Blue exploit was leveraged of that, along with Eternal Romance, and a lot of people didn't apply the patch for that. So immediately following a day that that was released, and sometime before that, before the patch was released, that malware was running its way through systems. It would come in through email, through a malicious uh, Word document with a macro attached. The macro would go out, uh, generate PowerShell to download a cradle, and pull down the ransomware, and then start infecting and worming its way through the network. So it sounds like you could have prevented it just by patching. Patching would 100% prevent that, as well as uh, network segmentation. So how would someone do patching? Like what? I mean, we talk about patching, but what exactly, how do you patch? <laughs> it should be automatic. You should have a schedule set up. Um, it should be automatic, but um, for, for strange and odd reasons, people decide to not patch or they decide to roll back patches for legacy compatibility. And uh, yeah, the, people get compromised all the time because they have one computer that people need to connect to that's legacy. And instead of updating that computer, they make 50 other computers vulnerable to be able to access the one legacy computer. So just there's there's things like that that occur as well. Even though people patch, they roll them back. Okay. And then what about like the network segmentation? 
Uh, so to kind of just add on what Jeff said before jumping the network segmentation, uh, for smaller environments, you can set up automatic updates. For large environments, it requires deploying a full patch plan. So you would maybe on the day after Patch Tuesday start pushing to non-critical machines, testing them, and then rolling out, but staying within the monthly cycle. Uh, as far as network segmentation, it's important to separate servers, workstations, and minimize what needs accessed. So for us, when we're doing an engagement for a penetration test, we're looking to pivot from the user VLAN to the server VLAN. So it's important to establish controls, whether it be firewalls or VLANing, uh, and even floors. So in the event of a WannaCry or a TrickBot infection, being able to see the network with it being segmented, they're not able to jump to other floors. So you may just have a single department impacted as opposed to the entire company. What about cases? Has there been any cases or do you all have any like real life stories where you've encountered ransomware either as like the security team or any firsthand experience? I had a painful experience with TrickBot and it seems to be this reoccurring theme in my life where it keeps coming back to haunt me. I got hit with the first variant of TrickBot back when it was a banking trojan and lightly malware based and crypto based. And that, luckily, the thing that saved us on that was network segmentation. But it came in as an email, uh, looked like an aviation contract. Uh, when opened, it was opened on a machine that did not have antivirus, a single machine. Uh, downloaded the malware, it waited a, two weeks, and then executed and hit every machine on that VLAN. Uh, it didn't matter they were fully patched. It didn't matter that they were, uh, they had script control or any kind of blocking enabled because it was executed on an administrator's machine and it had administrator credentials at that point it was basically a hands-on keyboard attack and was allowed to pivot through the network without any controls really being able to stop it so then what happened uh, so there was a lot of money paid in an incident response retainer um, a lot of very painful cleanup it embedded itself extremely deep uh, luckily, the portion that was set to encrypt didn't kick off, and they weren't able to enumerate SMB shares. So they enumerated some files locally, but nothing to the extent of our entire file server being caught. And I think it was sheer dumb luck that saved us, opposed <laughs> to any kind of skill or pre-planning. God, that's terrifying. <laughs> Let's see, what else? Wayne, you got anything to add about ransomware? Sure. Um, so most recently, uh, we worked an engagement with the SODI variant. Um, it encrypted several servers and databases. Uh, we did our best uh, to help them uh, decrypt the information. Um, we did some forensic backups or forensic images and were able to carve data, but it wasn't in a structured form, which didn't do much uh, for the company very much value. Um, so in that case, um, just proves to, you know, to show that uh, sometimes uh, you're going to have to pay the ransom. So mm -hmm. that's why it's so important um, to do the things that are necessary to prevent this from happening. Mm -hmm. To For me, um, I, I've written a number of different ransomware kind of simulators. And um, even if you can have the best antivirus solution in place, uh, there's still ways around antivirus to where you won't be detected at all. So it's important to implement measures beyond heuristics or signature-based uh, detection so that you can have backups in place to kind of look for alternative ways 
that if somebody does want to target you and is using something that is custom that is not detectable uh, then you need to have backup plans or need to have a disaster recovery plan uh, business continuity plans you need to have some type of policies set in place that assume that the ransomware risk can't be mitigated but how can you reduce damage even if you get if you, if you get hit mm-hmm. yeah, very well said mm-hmm. so how do people go about getting that plan in place right like it's I mean, you can't exactly just go to the CEO and say, hey, let's spend a whole bunch of money on like an IR retainer. What what would you guys recommend? Like, how would you try and convince your boss you need this? <laughs> There's plenty of uh, cases in the news of ransomware attacks and the demands, uh, the dollar amounts that the attackers are demanding from the uh, victims of the ransomware. So there's just, yeah, there's there's tons of uh, news articles out there with, with information constantly. Mm-hmm. We actually see a lot of push for this stuff coming from the top down as opposed to the, the bottom up. Uh, a lot of CEOs hear the word ransomware, and so they go to their CISO and say, what are we doing? He goes, the IT manager. Uh, if you're a lowly security engineer on the totem pole, say, hey, I noticed that this is the kind of infections we're seeing or this is the kind of infections we saw that hit our industry. What do we do to protect this? Mm-hmm. Feel free to ask those questions and start a conversation. Well, what would we do in the event? What do we have in place? Or uh, what's our monitoring look like? Uh, do we check our antivirus, how often it's updated? And start building out those plans to say, like, these are the steps that we see in a ransomware attack. Start building out plans to check into those things and monitor them. Yeah, I would add one last thing to that. So uh, going from the bottom up, I would recommend... You know, looking at the news articles, right? Looking at how much money um, these guys are ransoming and the monetary value of that. And then calculate how much time or money it would cost you as a company uh, to be down one day, two days, three days. Um, mm-hmm. And calculate that and then take that to your executive and and um, show them that the return on investment of patching and doing uh, security hygiene and what it would cost them if, if they right. don't do those Because it's not just the ransomware cost. If you decide to recover it, it's you're going to have to take a hit regardless to get your infrastructure back up. That's exactly so right. So just the cost to get your infrastructure back up is probably as much as it costs or less to get an analysis or an assessment of your whole environment. Yeah. Plus the amount of money you're losing per day Correct. of being down. Yes, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to be making money, right? You've got employee salaries you still have to pay. Right. And depending on whatever industry you're in, you probably won't be able to do any sort of work at all, yeah. right? We, we right. recently saw a, a company where somebody was not aware of administrator passwords, and it looks like it influenced their bankruptcy, and they, they were a multi-million dollar company. Uh, so it, it looks like from everything we've seen that that ransomware single piece took that whole company down entire company so it's just if you're unprepared for it and you get hit with the right ransomware even the wrong ransomware that's not that that uh undetectable but you just get hit with enough damage to your infrastructure that calls or the need for a response then you're already going to be paying a lot of money all right y'all have anything else to add on ransomware Uh, We want to talk about brokering deals so actually paying the ransomware Uh, we have noticed an uptick in companies that um, are founded by some of the same individuals or from the same places of origin as the individuals perpetuating the attacks and then headquartered in, say, New York or California. Um, and they offer to broker the deal. So they'll actually negotiate the ransom down 
and I've heard them talk very highly of the attackers, say, hey, these guys have a, a really good reputation for delivering decryption keys after they've been paid, or we'll kind of stay away from these guys. Um, <laughs> I would absolutely always recommend avoid paying the ransom at all cost. Uh, I just feel like those guys are kind of in the chain. Um, they get their cut of the ransomware, so uh, where, where I trust them compared to the hackers is kind of questionable. I mean, it's incredible, right? Basically, these guys are brokering and are saying, hey, here's a five-star ransom, right? Like, this guy's five stars. I know he'll give you the keys, as opposed to saying, like, right, this guy's a one-star rating. I mean, how do you even, are you friends with the hackers beforehand? Like, how do you get in that position? I don't know. I can imagine just, like, sitting on an IRC channel and some guy just saying, hey, by the way, I'm a ransomware author. I noticed that you have involvement in IT security, and would you like to be the exclusive access to data? Yeah, right. And it could be just like that. And some guy just said, you know, I don't want to know nothing about it. You just give me the keys, and I'll pay you. you know? that is incre- so, yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> so are the brokers typically the ones who reach out um, to companies that have been ransomed, not the hackers, the brokers? So most of the time, the companies will have, the company that got ransomware will reach out to an incident response team, and that incident response team will recommend a broker. And then those brokers usually hang out in the CD forums or IRC channels where these attackers are. And most of the time, they're just brokering the deals. So um, they'll reach out in Russian or Mandarin and say, hey, uh, we have a company that has ADN computers infected. What will you do? Like, can you give me a package deal if we decrypt all of them and the attackers will of course say hey we'll get that we'll lower that price down and then the company that's actually brokering the deal will acquire the money in bitcoin to transfer over there complete the transaction and then take their cut off the incident response and so it's all in bitcoin too huh correct wow so does the broker not I guess I misunderstood. Like the broker just kind of goes on these forums right and says hey anyone who's able to decrypt this not necessarily the one specific person who encrypted the company. Uh, so most of the time, he's actually reaching out directly with the creators. Okay. Um, there was a kind of a honeypot sting set up where someone created a fake ransomware, posted it on a forum, mm-hmm. and then pretended to encrypt their machine and then reached out to one of these companies. And they found them just going out to these dark web forums and saying, like, hey, has anyone seen this variant? Who's the author of this? Mm-hmm. Or reaching out to the email provided in the ransomware and saying, hey, we're this company, like, make us a deal and we can push to get all of their machines decrypted, not just their critical infrastructure. You know, I also, just thinking about, I also feel like it's kind of amateur hour to declare or to to want Bitcoin um, because it's, even though it is kind of anonymous, it's it's a public and transparent ledger. So once the feds get their quantitative computers or can figure out where these coins came from, it's going to be really hard to cash out if you're a, a ransomware actor. So I'm surprised we don't see more Monero and things like that that are more privatized digital assets. Wait, what is Monero? It's just an alternative coin. Just another yeah. digital currency. It has a lot more privacy to hmm. it than Bitcoin does. Because that was how Bitcoin came around, right? It was the idea where you put money in and then however you spent it, it couldn't be tracked. Well, it's, it wasn't necessarily it couldn't be tracked, but it was like cash. Gotcha. Like that. So okay. it's like cash, yeah. But it's it, there's definite, yeah, ingress and egress points of Bitcoin to where you can, yeah. The, the IRS has been known to send people uh, tax mm-hmm. forms for their Bitcoin, for their Bitcoin gains, yeah. No way. Yeah. 
So I'm just surprised that it, it seems kind of odd that they would still use Bitcoin. Yeah. Hmm. So how do you guys think? So obviously the IOT, the Internet of Things, is kind of becoming a hot topic as well. Um, and with, I swear, every new device that's, you know, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi enabled, it's only growing. So how do you think ransomware is going to kind of impact or be impacted by IOT? I mean, surely more devices means easier access, right? Yeah, it's just more holes. Mm -hmm. Every new device is a realm of possibilities for a hacker. <laughs> to get into your network. Yeah, it's also important to look at how IoT is starting to be distributed. What you'll notice is a bunch of rebranding. So there is a company that manufactures and then sells or licenses and lets you brand it. So a single maybe nanny cam or a dog cam, uh, it may have a vulnerability and someone may disclose that, but they disclose it for a particular product, say uh, this dog cam, but that camera may be sold under a hundred different names by a hundred different companies, and the CVEs aren't being signed to the base manufacturers. And I see that that's gonna be a huge issue with IoT moving forward, especially with cameras. They're likely all using the same protocols and boards and firmware at their base level. Hmm. So I guess with the IoT, then what do you, what do you do? Just like standard stuff, segmentation, patching, is there anything else special for IoT? Personally, at home, I put all my IoT on its own network that goes out its own VPN and is also limited through Pi Hole so that it can't make home, uh, phone home requests. So I know exactly the traffic that leaves my IoT network, all the traffic that goes in, and I limit its ability to be accessed externally. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so scared to use the Internet. I have, <laughs> uh, I have a router in my house, a Wi-Fi network, and I watch Netflix on my TV and I browse Reddit on my phone. And that's about all the things I do on the internet. <laughs> mm. yeah. They can still track you. <laughs> I moved off to analog. <laughs> Thank you all for joining me. Thank, Thank you for having you. us. Nice being in the physical studio again. Yes. <laughs>